Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. This is the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. I'm George Cooper and I'm joined by Jack Kelly, Ben Jarman and Dom Betts. Now, the more observant of you realise that I'm not Sammy James. I'm stepping in for him today and hoping not to make as big as a hash of my hosting debut as Fulham made their performance at Stoke. It was meant to be a routine victory. A subsequent nice, easy, happy podcast in which we discuss how good we are. But it turned out to be a bit of a hospital bath from Sammy. And it's uh, almost as if he saw it coming. Um, Faz, what would you do uh, right back for the upcoming loss against Stoke? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that one, Mr James. We, in fact, had no right back to speak of, or a left back for that matter. Three at the back in a balls-out formation for Fulham, which ultimately backfired. Our championship victory bus got a flat tyre from two Potter's Potholes. It wasn't a pretty performance, so let's kick things off with some three-word reviews. Ben, would you like to do the honours? Thank you, yeah, of course I will. Uh, We'll start with a really strong one from Jamie Vade, who said, cheers, son's crying. Uh, Having met Jack Kelly about 15 minutes ago, he's still crying now. Um, I'll have uh, another one from Chad Thomas-Hannon, who says, long ball defeat which I think is, is very, very accurate. Colm Bugler says, uh, management misinformation system. And then uh, a couple of controversial ones in here. Steve Leahy says, Parker's bang average. Um, and then uh, one from Rick Cardis that says, route one rear ending. I think we'll leave it at that. Yeah, it wasn't a pretty performance. Two vintage Route 1 goals from Stoke. The first one smartly finished by Tyrese Campbell in the first half. The second, a penalty from Lee Gregory on 80 minutes. which saw Fulham continue the great tradition of being the team to end opposition's terrible runs of form. So I guess my first question would be, what do you think went wrong, Dom? I think the lineup is... I mean, everyone's going to talk to the tactical system. I don't have an issue, actually, with the system itself. That's, that's, that, I don't think there's too much of an issue with that. I think it's the players you're playing in those positions. Let's say if we had a back three, I don't know, Ream, Mawson and Adoyne and had Steven Sessegnon and Joe Bryan as the wing-backs, then you, you, can, you can see it working. Maybe Knockart or Kearney in behind, let's say, a Caviero Mitrovic or Ream Mitrovic. I think that's fine, but you can't then have Joe Bryan, who's probably been our best defender going forward when we looked at our fullbacks this season in the left centre-back position, which he's obviously not used to, then having two inside forwards pretty much playing, utilising the wing-back positions and not, not, you're not, and then I understand that maybe you're trying to take advantage of Stoke's diamond formation, they've used a fair bit, but it just, everyone looked at the lineup and just couldn't work out what was going on. It just, it was just all over the place, really. Like taking advantage of that diamond formation, I don't think we actually tried to do that at all. We tried to do it, but I don't well, think... well, on paper, looking at the team, <coughs> yeah, that's yeah. what you expect. Yeah, yeah, I completely get that. I don't, I don't think we took advantage of it as we intended to. I think we wanted to move the diamond about loads, but actually, all it done was just free up the middle completely because you just had Kenny in there with Arta and Reed, and there was just so much space in the middle of the park. There's like a, a massive gap between Mitrovic and Kenny in the whole midfield, like. And then the Joe Bryan decision is absolutely abysmal, in my opinion. You don't put the most consistent and one of our biggest attacking threats at left centre-half against two really big forwards. It's just a disaster waiting to happen, and it did happen for that Well, that if, you look, if you look at the system, actually, I mean, well, I know Man United are a completely different side, but they changed their system to a three-at-the-back system, yeah. and it worked to their effect because they're playing the system how it's supposed to be played with two really high wing-backs who are normally playing in the full-back positions, and it, and it really does who getting up and down the line, not two players who want to cut inside and attack. So I think, yeah. as I said, yeah, the system... 
the idea behind the system is fine. Just there was the complete wrong players in the wrong positions, and mm-hmm. we basically just played into Stokes' hands. And you know, everyone can talk talk about oh, Stoke had, had only won one game, and it was the elite previous game before this, but. You know, we didn't deserve to get anything out of the game and Stoke thoroughly deserved the three points that he did end up getting. Mm, you talk about it's not necessarily system to blame, it's playing the wrong players in the wrong position. Who would you have liked to have seen fit to that formation? So then I think if you're looking at our centre-back I think it would be a doy you'd bring in into, into the back three. And I think he would work because obviously he's, 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 he's played centre-back four, but he's also got a, he's a lot, got a bit of pace about him, unlike Reeman Mawson. And then in, you, I think Stephen Session on the right and Joe Bryan on the left, I think that would have made more sense if we were trying to play a system like that and trying to get the ball out wide to take advantage of the diamond. I just don't understand... Brian at left centre back is it's not understandable, but I can see what maybe he was trying to do. But then having Caviero knockout as wing backs is just pretty much suicide, especially away from home. Yeah, it is. It's just it's just one really quick way to make your back three completely exposed, and it also just restricts their influence on the game as well because they've got to do defensive duty as well as going forward, and then none of them want to do it. We've seen a few people on Twitter. Um, describing the formation as disrespectful to Stoke, to what extent do you feel like you agree with that? No, I think that what we what we did was we used what we did against in the second half against Charlton, where we changed the system. And that worked really well. We got back in the game, we got the point. And then we just thought we'd use that against Stoke. And basically what happened is they just play a long ball up the field, route one, and, and we get caught out because Ream just it wasn't good enough in that situation and bet slips that it kind of helped Stoke in that situation, but because we had Knockart and Caviero playing as wing backs, yeah, they were too high up the pitch and we got exposed, and that's basically why we lost the game. Basically, mm, it, it is a tricky one because we've spoken about it before on the podcast that we feel like this team is a work in progress, and Scott Scott Parker has been criticised previously for his lack of tactical know how and and lack of kind of plan B whenever it happens. He's he's played a different formation that we've not seen. It hasn't paid off. Do you feel like Results like this are inevitable if we are going to find a system that works. Yeah, but also, what Jack said there about it was a system we finished against Charlton. It was, but that's when you're chasing the game, trying to get something out of the game, and you know Charlton sitting back trying to defend their lead. You can't play that from the first minute. It doesn't have the same effect. It's like it, it's a formation or a system you might use when you, as I said, when you are chasing this game. But from the minute, from the first minute, I, it, you could tell that it wasn't going to work. As soon as five minutes into the game, standing by the goal, you could you could just tell that this system wasn't going to work. Especially as I said, when you have two inside forwards playing in the wing back positions, which then harming them from getting forward. It was. I'm not saying it was like Ranieri s, but it's just like he was trying to fit all his best players onto the pitch at the same time without actually playing a system that suited any of the players he had on the pitch. Because let's let's face it. Mawson or Ream, neither of them are really a play or a centre-half you want playing on either left or right of a back three. Adoy's the only centre-back we probably have, maybe you could argue Lamarche on, yep. who play on the outside of a back three. So I just, yeah, it, the, as I said, the system was is a perfectly good system that could have worked, but the players chosen to play the certain roles are just all over the shop. Mm, yeah, I agree. It was a bit kind of football manager FIFA, you know, when you're trying to get all your players that are above a certain mm. level. Um Let's move on. Let's talk about the goals. Two disappointing lump it up top route one goals from Stoke. Um, ben, if anyone, who do you feel is to blame for the first? Uh, I actually think it's probably Tim Ream. I know he's pretty much untouchable and has been for a while, but yeah, he lets Tyrese Campbell get on the wrong side of him way too easy. And as a defender, you never want that. You need to be able to shepherd the ball properly and use your body to get in the way. And Ream didn't do that to any great effect. I think one of the 
the the previous stage of that was Joe Bryan getting beaten in the air, which is why I think it's such a massive flaw that he plays at left centre half there, in that formation that is so unbalanced. But yeah, I, I, for me, I think it's Reem. He gets done a little bit too easily. Betts obviously will take some flack. Keepers always do. He's down way too early. I don't know what his thinking is about that. He also slips a little later on uh, for another chance. It's just like he's chosen the wrong footwear, which is baffling to me. Surely you know your conditions by now. You've been a pro for, for years. Yeah, I, I put the blame more on Ream and Brian for this goal than I do for the goalkeeper. Mm. I think just, I know he slips and he goes down early, but I think that you know, you can say, oh, better any mistake, but you look at our, you could, you, you should put, really be putting more blame on our midfielder or attack for not creating any chances. Yeah. Think about the first half, there's a little flick from Mitrovic near the six-yard box, which goes just wide. That's the only thing we created yeah. in the entire half. I think... Fans are too easily to put the blame on a goalkeeper because their mistakes are so much more under the magnifying glass because yeah. it fairly often leads to... I understand Benny hasn't been at his greatest best this season, but I think he has been getting too much flack. I said it when we drew with West Brom. The reason we drew with West Brom was not because Bettinelli dropped the ball. The reason it was because our strikers and midfielders weren't creating or taking enough chances there. So, yes, Bettinelli can do better by obviously not slipping and not getting it early, but I think you've got to look at, as I said, Joe Bryan getting beaten in the air because he's playing centre-back. Tyrus Campbell getting on the back of Tim Ream way too easily. And, you know, they because they clearly hadn't been practicing this thread about that much because there was so much space between Joe Bryan and Tim Ream for Tyrese Campbell to run into. So I think it's much more a tactical defensive error than just blaming it on an easy blame to blaming it on Bettinelli. Mm, no, I, I, I would have to agree with you there, Dom. Um, you, you spoke about that lack of creativity. It is starting to become a concern, especially when you, you think of the likes of the, the quality of play that we've got on the pitch for the duration of the game. Jack, looking forward to Wednesday, what would you select for the uh, for game against Luton? Well, I'd revert it back to the, to the um, to the system we usually play. We'd get Sessignon back in the team, Brian back at left back, and and start playing that four two three one or four three three formation. What what Parker tried to do on Saturday was utilise both Bobby Reed and Mitrovic to play up front together. But Bobby Reed was nowhere to be seen apart mm. from in the second half. He had the header straight the keeper. So I would revert back to that system. It's the one that suits us better. It's the one that makes us create more chances. And, and I'm worried because Luton have just come off a 3-0 win against Bristol City, who are one of the, one of, were one of the league's best teams at, the, at this current moment. So they'll be very high on confidence. I'm really worried about this Fulham team because we're low on confidence now. And we just need a win on Wednesday to, to pick us back up. Mm, I'm breaking my heart, Jack. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> um, do we feel like Saturday was a proofing concept that the Bobby Reed? Mitrovic combination maybe you can't play them together I think it's a little bit too far to go for that I think you'd never get a strike force that works straight away unless it's York and Cole like you n- you'll never get that rapport happening straight away in, in, a, in a game situation they need to adjust to each other's playing styles and you, what you need to remember is that Bobby Reed's often been playing out wide or he plays slightly deeper role and to actually be moved a little bit further up the pitch does need some sort of adjustment I'm a bit worried like Jack is with Luton. They're a very narrow team. They're a very direct team. They've got two big like bolstering forwards. And actually they've been, James Collins in particular, in League Two, League One and a championship has proven that he can score a lot of goals at this level. And actually I think people think it's going to be a little bit of a walkover. But if we're not there 100% on this game, then it will be a challenge and a big one at that. Mm. So there's been a lot of unrest on Twitter. Uh, Not sure if you saw scenes after the game, the players coming off the coach onto the train, a lot of distaste and a lot of of criticism for Scott Parker. 
do you feel like he's ultimately to blame for this for this result? I think he's got a massive part to play in it by choosing the team he did. I mean, the abuse he got at the train station, which was on social media, like that's unacceptable. You should, you know, he's your, he is still your manager. You don't I understand saying having a word of him, like, oh, why do you think this works or just didn't work today? But yeah, I thought abuse was a, was a bit way, a bit too far. But you know, probably if you talk about the Harangay Yeovil game, it's probably not, not that bad. But um, yeah, obviously we were on the train platform at the time when obviously the, the players. I think someone's mentioned there at the end of the platform getting our train back, but. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, we saw we saw them obviously rushing off when we got back to Houston. Mm. But yeah, I, d- I don't see what you're getting out of shouting at mm. Scott Park or shouting abuse at the players because you know surely you, it's not going to do them any good whatsoever. So I find it a, a bit odd. But you know, I think that you know this Wednesday game against Luton, like it's weird going into this game thinking like worrying about it. Because like it, it's a game you should be just going to expecting a standard a standard win. A bit like when the year we got promoted, when we had that Sheffield United game at home, I think around February, March time, I think yep. Mitrovic scored that ridiculous goal. And we, we, we were going into that game just expecting to win it. And it, you should be going into losing at home expecting to win. I said it last week that these five games between the October and November international break, so Stoke, Luton, Borough, Hull and Birmingham, and Birmingham Yes, you're not going to get 50, you're probably not going to get 15 points from 15. But if you look at all those games individually, there's no reason why you can't win them all. Obviously, mm. we lost one already, and I think well that that's putting pressure on the next four games to at an absolute minimum win three and draw one. Because you're looking at those games and it was 10, 12 points at the absolute worst case scenario there. I actually just think it's complete bollocks that you would go up to your manager and scream and shout at them in public like. What give, what gives you the front to do that? Yeah, you've lost a football game, right. but I would understand it if you were bottom of league two and 15 points adrift you were really in some sort of dire financial straits or you'd been humiliated like six or seven nil like for example like Watford did against City I'd understand then if you would go and spout vitriol at the the team uh, you're entitled to your opinion but like if you contextualize where we are we're we're like six points off the top points off top yeah Yeah, we're a little bit closer to relegation than people would like but this because we're a month and a half into the season or two months into the season like we are in with as good a chance of being promoted as anyone else in this league now and being six points off doesn't mean anything you know teams can drop a couple of games and Fulham can win a couple of games and we could be as good as top like in the championship you have a run of three or four good games and you accelerate a handful of places like it's not a point now where we need to start shouting and screaming at the players because it's only going to damage ourselves and the situation is still very much in our own hands and Jack I don't know how you feel about this as well mate but I actually think it's kind of a little bit pathetic that people are calling for Parker to go as well because this is a brand new coach you don't become a world-class coach overnight and actually I quite like the fact that he's I know it was a mistake this weekend but I like the fact that he's gone out and tried to attack a team because in so many instances over the last few years, we've not seen Fulham managers go out and balls out attack a team that, that we have. Yeah, there's flaws in the system, but there's flaws in every football system, right? Yeah. And Sorry. it takes a while for them to gel. And I know we need to pass quicker and we pass stronger and more direct, but it's bollocks. What do you think? I think the video that circulated on social media or um, we saw was, was cowardly from, from a fan um, let's not forget this is Scott Parker's first full season as a full-time manager. You know, he took over a team who were basically relegated and, and tried to pick up the pieces. And in doing that, he's changed the system and he's made a mistake. But, but to, to go and tell him, you know, whatever was said, 
it is ridiculous and it's not going to do him any confidence it's not going to do the players any confidence um it really frustrates me but but the thing is even that clip that sammy said that, like we're going to lose to stoke i felt as though it was inevitable it's it's the kind of game we always lose it's the first game back from the international break away at a team that's struggling i never saw a win and it's it's sad because we had such a good time before the game in the pub we were having a lot of drinks and having a lot of fun and then you know after the game you've got a headache and you just feel rubbish and it's just <laughs> honestly it's i've never been more frustrated and more angry um after a game since probably United away last season. I'm, I'm so fed up, but hopefully <laughs> Wednesday night we can turn it I can, I can tell in your voice. I can tell in your voice. I mean, just um, playing devil's... I, I personally agree. I feel like it is counterproductive and there's no, there's no positive to be taken from it. But, you know, as... To reflect what Jack's saying, people pay a lot of money, you know, it's the day out and you've got to trek it up to Drury Stoke. Yeah, but you can Trenton. be entitled to opinion as a way of saying it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like exactly. you don't you don't have to be abusive towards your own manager. I just mm. don't see what, what, what help is gonna be. And I mean, like it's an hour after the game, just just don't think about the game. <laughs> and you and you'll have a lot and your Saturday will be a lot better. I agree. I agree. Anyway, moving on. Let's not get too down in the dumps here. Uh, any positives at all? Were there any performances that stood out from Fulham, or was it just bleak from start to finish? Yeah, I, just, I can't really think of any positives. Just because it's not like we were, there was like end to end stuff, chances being created left, right, and centre. I said in that first half, we created absolutely nothing apart from that little flick from Mitrovic that nearly went in. You know, if you're looking at our chances in the second half, they weren't loads of clear-cut ones. You'd argue most of them are half chances mm, apart Bobby from Reed. Bobby toilet seat header from about <laughs> six yards out, which went straight down the keeper's throat. So, so Brian's nice, nice curler. Yeah, I mean, that, that was arguably one of the closest we came to a goal. So I think that, I just can't think of a positive to come. And I think I think the, the, the positive is, is we've got a game on Wednesday. That is yeah. the positive it's lucky it's not a week where we've got to wait to the following Saturday we have got a chance to bounce back straight away and I think the the team are going to really want to prove a point that you know it was a blip on Saturday and you know we've got these two games coming up not I know you've got the Holland Berlin games later on but you know these two games in the next week you've got Luton at home and Middlesbrough away Middlesbrough in dire straits at the moment you know mm. I know our record there is pretty poor apart from the shithouse when we got in 17-18 but you know, we should be looking at six points from these two games as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I was looking at minimum seven on, or nine from the three. So I think that the, only, the, the main positive for me is that we have got an opportunity about three days later to bounce back. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Well, onwards and upwards. Um, we're going to, I think, move on from the game, put it behind us, you know, reflect and move forward. Uh, after the break, we're going to be here with your questions. And then following that, we're going to have a little look forward to the game on Wednesday. We'll be right back. Fulhamish has partnered with theterracestore.com who have a great range of official Fulham merchandise with a retro twist. Some amazing products with throwbacks to some of the iconic Fulham kits of yesteryear. Right now, Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off. Just use the code Fulhamish when you check out. Uh, They've got some great presents, particularly with Christmas around the corner. So make sure you use the code Fulhamish for 10% off. That's at theterracestore.com. Dot com. We're back on the Fulhamish podcast. Um, we, I'm joined by Don Betts. Hello, hello. Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. And Jack Kelly. Good evening. We have been commiserating in Saturday's results. However, we're looking forward and we're going to move things forward with some of your questions. So, a question for tonight's podcast from C Block Steve. Do you think Scott Parker is getting the best out of our new signings? And if not, why not? Well, I think the straightforward answer is no, because yes, they've done well. But you've seen in games that 
there's often been times with Caviero, let's say, that his stats flatter to deceive, let's say. He's getting goals, he's getting his goals, but he's not contributing a whole lot. I don't know if that's down to the player itself and the player he is, or it's down to Scott Parker, but I think we could we can we could be seeing more from Knockart and Caviero. Yes, I understand they have both done well since they've come in and probably been two of our better players, but I still think there is more to get out of them. If if you're thinking about this, we're not if you're looking at the attacking outlets we've got, if you, you take away Bobbery, let's say you've got Mitch Rich, Kearney, Knockart and Caviero you should be creating more chances than we have been. They get the ball in the right position and we're not creating enough chances. I think that's the biggest problem. I don't know if that's down to Scott Parker and or is it just they haven't they just need more and more time to gel You know, it's only been what, you know, two months, two and a half months into the season now. So I think you can be getting more out, but I don't think he's doing a bad job of getting the quality out of them. I just think it's it's a whole team thing that we need to I'm not saying we necessarily change the way we play, but I just feel like we're not creating enough chances at all. And it's not like we're just getting the ball sort of in the right areas in the midfield, but it's not getting into clear-cut chances for the attackers. And I don't know what that's down to. But from that perspective, I think you could argue he's not getting the best out of them. But I'm not saying he's done a bad job with, with how these players have done. As you said, you don't know what it's down to, the lack of chances. And for me, like the lack of chances is almost certainly down to speed. Because we don't play at any sort of level above walking pace for the most part. We're so obsessed with holding onto the ball and working it and working it and working it that actually it becomes quite predictable. And I think we saw that this weekend. It was very predictable in the build-up. You give it to Kearney, Kearney shifts it onto his left and it goes out wide and it comes back in and it goes to the other side. You have to be more decisive when you play and you have to eat the ground up a little bit more using either player movement or, or the ball itself. Like... Fulham don't do that a huge amount and I think we're a bit guilty at times of just letting ourselves lapse into monotony and I think that really does restrict the amount of chances we make per game. It's funny because we we take risks uh, in defence with the passing around the back but we don't take risks in attack. We don't play passes, killer passes. We we try, basically what we try and do is we move the ball from left to right and then look for gaps and sometimes those gaps don't come for for two minutes and, and we've still got the ball and we're not really creating any chances. That's why we, we didn't Do you think that, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, that surrendering a bit of possession might help the, the way we want to play? Yeah, definitely. I also think getting the ball forward a little bit yeah, quicker I'm just, would be I'm just thinking if we had 55-60 as opposed to 65-70, if I'm looking like a player like Caviero, let's say, for me, he's going to be a better player in a team that has a 10%, 10% less possession. Yeah, because exactly. He, he, then there's... There's, if you have 70% of the ball, there's no areas for him to run into. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? As soon as Fulham get the ball, the, the opposition team sort of regress into banks and they sit so deeply you can't get in behind them. What Fulham should be doing is trying to give themselves sort of like four or five yards to drop off to lure them out a bit. I think that for me makes the most sense. So you can create gaps that way instead of shepherding it from side to side because there becomes a point where the opposition just isn't going to move. They're just going to sit there. And that's what you do on a Sunday league and it applies to every league of football. Like if you get in your shape, like United did yesterday, they get in the shape, mm. the ball can move around as much as you want. But if you're just in your shape and concentrating, then it's really hard to break it down. It's like, it's like on Saturday, like every, or even every, nearly every game this season, every time we get the ball to the wing, it's very predictable. It's knockout. He does a few little jinking runs, then he puts a terrible cross in and it's just away and then it comes back to us and we try again. It's just the one thing Fulham don't do anymore and I wish they did was try and create those overloads out in wide areas. Exactly. Remember we used to have Fredericks and Target or any fullback would go in or, out, in or outside their winger and it would drag the, the opposition fullback out or at least the centre-half and you could ping the ball into the box. Fulham don't do it anymore and when we do do it on a very rare occasion, like it, it's, it's flat. Yeah, it's flat, but it is, it's worth it. Mm. 
Mm, okay. Yeah. Nice sound, sound analysis there, boys. Um, next question. We're a quarter of the way through the season. When is a reasonable amount of time to expect the squad to be firing on all cylinders? Well, let's look at any of our two previous successful campaigns in the championship. Did we play at all well in the first half of the season? I think in 16-17, you can argue for, for August. But then we hit when then we hit the blip. So I don't as I said, I don't if let's take examples here. Let's look at Ian Dowie's Crystal Palace and Roy Keane Sunderland. Both teams had a horrific start to the season. I understand, you know, I'm just using examples here, but they both it shows that in the championship, you know, six points off, even if you're in January from the top, you take. It's a very good position to be in. I think what well, the good thing is this season is no one is running away with it. Mm. There's so many teams there. You know, let's say the, the week we beat Reading 4-0 or whatever it was, right? Or 4-1. We started off in 10th. We went up to 7th and then dropped back down to 8th or wherever it was. So it, there is fluctuation there. And I think that it isn't about you trying to run away of the league at this point. It really isn't. It's about you staying within touching distance. And then when it comes to the killer time in the league, so I'm thinking February, March time, because you look at the core of the season. So after the next international break, there's not one until March. And so, you know, that's when the core squad can be working together and working what's really happening. Because let's think, there's only three or four week sort of periods at the moment before, before the international break kicks in. So I don't think it's at all a time to be worried about. Yes, you can say a quarter of the scene's been gone, but, you know, for me, the championship table for any team doesn't matter until January, February time anyway. So I don't think it's, a, it's time to get worried at all. As Ben said earlier, we're literally only six points off the top of the league. And, you know, you, you, you'd argue West Brom had a, a lot better start season than us. And obviously I, t- I actually did think they'd be doing this well because I thought they've got probably the best manager and a very good mm-hmm. squad. So I, you're, well, it's lucky that there is no runaway. There is no Wolves. There is no Newcastle. There's not even like a Brighton. So I think it's not, it has no reason to be worried. Yes, it was annoying and poor performance on the weekend against Stoke, but you could just get from the perspective we've got some very winnable games coming up let's say we win our next four games Will anyone remember Stoke come the November international break probably not yeah mm. I was very reactionary on Saturday I said oh we're not going up after that and then I look at the table and go well, if we win on Wednesday we're back in the playoffs so I mean that was just emotion but I think that this <laughs> so you're actually you didn't do the match reaction Jack I, I honestly I, I had too much to drink I forgot <laughs> um, I, I think that yeah like Dom said this league is extremely open you've got Preston uh, Leeds, Swansea, uh, who's at the top? West Brom, just all do extremely well, but then also quite inconsistent. Leeds are not running away like I expected it. So there is a chance for us just to to break into the top six again, and I think we will by the end of the uh, international, well, by the end of the next five games. Yeah, cool. I would agree. I feel like I've said it time and time again on the podcast. Fulham really hit their stride after Christmas. That's, that's as long as it. For as long as I can remember, that's been the case. However, I'm going to press you boys and say, if you had to put a date on the fact on if things aren't really kicking off and we're not performing well, when would you sort of say, okay, it's time for a change? I think that one thing you've got to look at is, I know you you look at the international break is not the best time to sack a manager, but it often is when it's most helpful because you've got like a two week period of when you can get one out and get one in. Honestly, the next one's in like three weeks. So we're not going to sack Scott Parker in the next three weeks. And unless he loses to Luton and unless he gets a point out his next two games, let's say, then I think questions will will be asked. I'm not saying... No, he won't go though. No, he won't go. I think... think This November international break is a good stage to analyse the situation. I'm not saying make a make a change. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But it's a good time to analyse situation and what's happening because, yeah, I don't think Scott Barker will be sacked this season unless he's doing horrifically badly. Because if if he if he does sack him, what's the point? 
Who, who are you getting in? Yeah. Let's say you, do, you go for someone like Chris Hewitt and people have been mentioning because of his proof work and knockout, right? You're going from one opposite to the other. Like they, they play totally different styles of football. It's like you, you can't, that was the problem going from Slav to Ranieri. Yeah. Like you play, you've got two managers, you play polar opposite style of football. One's, you got, a, that's probably why we're doing better now because, and why we did better under Scott Parker towards the end of last season because Scott Parker plays a, a more similar style of football to Slavisa Jokanovic and then that was the players that Jokanovic got in to play that kind of football. So, if you were to get rid of Parker, let's say, you'd have to have a manager lined up who's playing a very similar style of possession-based football. You couldn't just go from that to then a counter-attacking, more defensively stable system with someone like Chris Hewitt. It just doesn't make any sense. So I think Scott Parker will be given the season. I think as long as he finishes in the top six, then there will be no complaints. And I think we're more than capable of doing that. So, yeah, I think... I don't... I think... Come November in Tashway, it'll be a good time to analyse what's how the season's gone so far because it's you know obviously the last one until March. But I don't think he's going to be like his, his head will be called for the job by the Khans anytime soon. Okay, cool. Um, right, this is an interesting one coming up. This is from Luke Alili on Twitter. How was the toilet roll in Stoke? Don't radio bet. Not as bad as Prague. That was it. Re- White Horse Restaurant in the Old Town Square in Prague. Don't use toilet paper in there. It was basically sandpaper. And L- 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 Luke will back me up on that situation. I, I think his arsehole might still be recovering from that. So, no, it, it, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't trust it. I didn't really try, trust a cubicle in Stoke. I mean, it's a bit... You bit, came in like you were riding a horse today. Yeah, I know. It was, it was probably still coming from that from the Prague sphere toilet paper, being honest here. But, yeah, no, it, it didn't look too bad, but it definitely didn't look safe. Excellent. Okay, moving on. Uh, this is from Oscar FFC. Am I wrong in thinking Knockart is very average? Take away his dribbling and you have next to nothing. Discuss. He's very average when you play him at wing back, that's for sure. But actually, Inverted you, wing back. Inverted wing back. Sorry, Dom. <laughs> if, you play, if you play him up the pitch in his rightful position with creative players in and around him and allow him to get at defenders, then I think he's slightly above average. No, I would agree. I feel like, we, you know, once we hit our stride and we start playing a system that's to the optimum benefit of all of our players, I do believe we'll be absolutely fine. But following on, Gary Gaza Dexy 40 asks, we've just lost to the bottom two. Isn't it unrealistic to expect us to finish in the top two after these performances? I don't think you can include the Barnsley loss in any... In a word, no. Yeah, I don't think you can... The Barnsley loss is such an anomaly of any result. They haven't, I think they've won since... It was just that game when you've got the team who just come up, plays, playing the team who just gone down. The team who come up have this winning mentality because they've been winning all the previous season. They hadn't lost for about 18 months at home or something crazy like that. They, they didn't lose at all in League One in, at home. And like, we're coming down with a losing mentality. I understand we won a few games towards the end of the season, but you know your, your mentality can't just switch like that. Like It, it doesn't happen. So I think... Don't you can't you just have to look, not look at the Barney game in any sort of respect. Yes, you, you go into this game, but you know I understand Stoke haven't won since March since they beat Forest, but you know they they just be a, 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 a top of the league Swansea at the time. Mm. They deserved that win against Swansea before the international break, and they deserved the win against us. I don't think you can look at who teams lose to as to who, how they're going to compete because yeah. then you can look how we've competed against the better sides in this division and we've been perfectly fine. So I think that yes, it's a small blip, but I think. What you're you're really going to see how we do across the next four games? Then I think you can make a better judgment. I just don't think you can look at those two games snapshot because Stoke are not going to be in the relegation zone coming in the season. I think they can easily make a late if they're going to play like they have the last two games. Can make a late push for the top half or even you know miraculously top six. So yeah. I don't think it's anything you can really too much look. If you look at Stoke's squad, it should be challenging for promotion. So I don't think saying losing to the top two is anything to really look at because as we said, the table 
it's like mid-October. Like yeah. There's no point analysing the table as it is. So but I, Barnsley, I don't think it's anything to sort of worry about. Barnsley could have been like an indication of what our season could have been like. We, we could have been in such danger of coming down and then having an absolutely dire season as well with the set of players that we had, the little change that we had, and then the season that we had last, last year. Everything could have gone south pretty quickly. We could have easily done a Sunderland if we hadn't have banded together and then got a good uh, run of games going. Like The thing is, these last six games, we've been undefeated in six. Like The run had to come to an end at some point. Yeah, it came to an end in fashion that none of us wanted it to, but then who loses in a good fashion anyway? Um, I don't think this is a point where we start you know, panicking. No, I it's just the middle it. It's the middle of October. Yeah. Like, we're six points off the top of the league. Like you take six points off the top of the league, it's March. Let, let, like let alone October here. Like I'm yeah. complaining. Like oh no, it's because I think it's because you look at people look at the place we're on a table as opposed to looking how many points we're off the top. Yes, I understand it's probably like nine teams above us or whatever. It's, I don't know exactly where on the table, but probably zoom around tenth. I just think that you know we've still got to play most of the teams in it who, who are above us in the table, which which is a good thing because it means you're gaining points over them still. So I, I just think that it's just typical Fulham fans on social media just complaining because they bored and got nothing else to complain about. Like, <laughs> just lighten up a bit and have a beer. Cool, that's what I like to hear. A bit of positivity leading into Wednesday. Uh, we've got another question here from Ryan H468 on Twitter. What the hell has Rodak got to do to get a run in the team? Has Bettinelli got Parker nudes? No. What's what what's happened here is a goalkeeper always looks better when they're not playing. It's it's a simple fact. He played in the one league cup game against Southampton, who obviously are a Premier League outfit who had more sh- who were having quite a few shots on goal. And most likely, if they're gonna have that many shots on goal, and you've got someone like Shane Bloody Long up front who can't hit a barn door with a banjo, he's gonna save most of them. So I think that Bettinelli he's, he's fine to stay in goal because I think yes he's he's not been his best this season but how many times have we not kept the same goalkeeper throughout a season and the last time I can remember is having a keeper that starts and finish the season is Mark Schwarzer you think about it you had Stecklenburg in Stockdale we've had you know if you look at last season yeah Kerali Lonergan Joe Lewis Bettinelli Button like I just, oh, this is quite nice for just to stick with a goalkeeper because it will just disrupt the team. Rodick had one good game against Southampton because they were attacking us a lot of the time. So he's more likely to, you know, make more saves. I don't think it's time to change the goalkeeper. I think that's just ludicrous. Yeah, the continuity, obviously playing out from the back. And if you bring in Rodak, then albeit he was good against Southampton, but what if he makes a mistake? Then everyone's going to be saying it's, it's Magnus Norman. Norman's season. <laughs> and it's Tyler, it's Taylor, um, Ashby Hammond's season. It's just... Like, just stick with him because it's just the right thing to Get do. Get Joranin back in from Italy. Could do that. Um, yeah, it was quite interesting. Did anyone else see Harry Arter um, signalling at Bettinelli uh, after the second goal with uh, number two with his hands uh, as if to signify... He's the result. Yeah. <laughs> he, seems, he, he, he's, he seems a right dickhead, Harry Arter. He, I like, mean, I'm, he, looking, I'm looking at the Sheffield Wednesday game. When he just uh, completely lost his head, I'm thinking, well, you know, you, the Bettinelli situation. Like, what what good is it doing having a go at your goalkeeper? Well, when you look back twice? at the when you look back at the highlights on the official site, you can see him having a go at Bettinelli after the first goal as well, and like he's properly berating him. But Art has done nothing in the middle of the pitch to shut down the the long ball that's pumped over the top. So both in a roundabout way equal four. If he's having but a go like, at Bettinelli for that goal, why is he not having a go at Brian and Ream? For, exactly as, for as being well? absolutely done, and also like. 
it, on the penalty, we haven't really spoken about the penalty, but when you're in that situation as a goalkeeper, you need to make something happen. And if he, if Benelli grabs the ball, then it was a split second earlier. Fantastic save! Everyone will be like screaming his name. It's deplored. It's but like you say, it's it's the rub of the green of a goalkeeper. If you're a split second out, it's a penalty, or you've let in a goal. Like there's nothing there. Benelli had to take a chance. There's no covering defender. Like Reams nowhere near getting near that. That yeah, both, he's, he's in a different both post goals are down yeah. to defensive issues and not down to Marcus yeah. Benelli. I think it's an easy just to use him as a scapegoat because he is the goalkeeper. So his mistakes are more sort of under, amplified. Yeah, amplified. So. Yeah, I just, I just think just you, you, you can't keep changing goalkeepers because they make a mistake. So many goalkeepers make a mistake. Like all, you look at all. The, I know David de Gea is a bit of a different situation here, but look at all the mistakes David de Gea made last season. They didn't bring in Romero. Like as a, a goalkeeper, will always look better when he's not playing because he's made a few good saves in the one game he has played. Mm, okay. Uh, well, yeah. So Ryan H four six eight made a comment. Has Bettinelli got parking news? On that note, we've had a very interesting tweet from Nocivo. Why does Jack Kelly keep sending me pictures of him in speedos? I think you've got uh, a bit of explain. Had a look at this guy's uh, Twitter account. I think he's tweeted about eight times since two thousand and fourteen when he joined. So it's just another fan that um, loves you. I'm obviously living in their heads. Uh, oh. like two or three other fans on Twitter it's quite fun nobody likes to say that nobody likes to say that <laughs> anyway uh, so what, Jack Kelly and Speedos or <laughs> <laughs> I've um, seen that both arguably <laughs> but anyway so moving on to Wednesday's game um, well let's start off with some score predictions what do we what do we think is going to happen after the game on Saturday depends who plays and what system we're going to play here but if we revert back to the system we we just we'd assume because it's a home game and he'll be, we'll be keeping pretty much most of the ball considering the way Luton likes to play so I think that I'm look I'm looking at three one here. I, I just never see us keeping a clean sheet. So but I think we're gonna come out really early doors and wanna put a message out and because I said before the Stoke game oh, this was an interesting game to make a statement in we didn't we kind of made one just the wrong one so maybe we can, maybe, <laughs> maybe we can fix that against Luton on Wednesday I do expect the team to be roaring for this and really uh, right the wrongs on Saturday. Do we feel like it's a case of must not lose rather than should win no because then it puts the team on the wrong footing completely because if you're going out there trading on egg, eggshells trying not to concede goals trying to play for a certain result you're almost guaranteed to get what you don't want so I think we've done that a last season a number of times when we were we had like a lower Premier League team coming to Craven Cottage and we'd be like try not to lose and almost always we played shockingly and we did lose but I think if we go out here and we start in an assertive way we use the ball, we use the formation to our advantage. I think Luton could be there from the taking, but having watched them quite a few times over the past few seasons, they do have a number of players in their team you have to be wary of. James Collins being one of them. Um, you'll get like likes of Kazenga Loalawa, who's capable of doing things from out, absolutely out of the blue if he's got in him like if he's switched on that day they've got a couple of good fullbacks and they like to bring them into play quite high up the pitch they another team that like to play over diamond they've got quite a lot of attacking players in in their formation as well and obviously you'll see the returning of Ryan Tunnicliffe to the cottage who's had quite a good start to the season for them um, heroes welcome a exactly, week later. exactly they've got two big centre-halves as well Charlton-esque who will probably want to uh, take Mitrovic uh, for a bit of a game I imagine I think, um, you remember a game back in sixteen seventeen. we played Rotherham at home. Uh, I think it'll be completely identical to that. I think, Rob, um, well, Rotherham did take the lead. I think Luton will take the lead. Um, on Wednesday, Izzy Brown will probably score. Everybody optimist. 
Uh, and then I think, we'll t- I think we'll just turn it around. I think we'll turn it around and win the game 2-1. But of course, Harry Arter's injured, so he won't be playing. So I, think, I, don't think, I don't think that's a particularly bad thing to see Harry Arter drop out of the, of yeah, the squad. Yeah, you, you don't want injuries. You, you want to keep you know, a, a full squad, um, a fully fit squad. I think we'll win 2-1, but I think um, it's a big night for uh, Harrison Reid. I feel like it, that this this game against Luton is probably crying out for the industry of Stephanie Johansson because they're a team that plays in a very compact way, as, as I said a second ago, and it actually needs him to hustle and bustle around, try and win that ball back and try and disrupt them as much as possible because even though they do surrender a fair amount of possession for a championship team, they do play quite slick football and in very, very direct and fast uh, style. So, yeah, I think we need that energy in there to break them all up. Cool. Perhaps a, a good game on our hands on Wednesday. Thank you, boys, for accompanying me for my first hosting gig at the Fulhamish yeah. Podcast. I've been joined by Don Betts. It's all right, mate. It's been a great hosting gig by you, Mr. <laughs> Goops. Great job. Yeah, thank you for Ben. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Great full debut. <laughs> thank you, Jack. Yeah, well played, George. Thank you very much. Right, there's only one thing left to do, uh, and that's to name this podcast. Ben, would you like to do the honours? I'm going to go for Richard Moore's Parker's Pointless Pottering. Thank you very much. Anyway, so it was a disappointing result on Saturday. I think we've all agreed it's time to put it behind us. And come on, you whites. Victory against Luton. Easy. Job done. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.